The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning. Let's get into your headlines this hour. U.S. equities close higher despite a dismal set of ADP jobs data. And even as Democrat lawmakers harden their position on a fresh stimulus rescue package. U.S. airline stocks rise after Republican senators back an additional $25 billion in aid for the industry. As the bosses of the largest carriers say, it'll take years to return to pre-crisis demand levels. Siemens makes changes to its managing board as the German industrial giant begins positioning for next year's changes in the C-suite. Uh, we'll tell you a little bit about the numbers this hour and we'll hear from the CEO, Joe Kayser, in just over an hour's time. The Bank of England preparing to issue its latest policy decision amid speculation. Policymakers will downgrade their forecast for a V-shaped recovery. We will hear from Governor Andrew Bailey. That'll be 1400 CET. Well, I'm very much looking forward to uh, listening to Joe Kayser a little on, a little later on, the boss of Siemens, of course. But uh, Annetta, what is he going to tell us? How do the numbers look? The numbers look actually a lot better than expected. If you, um, I might run you through um, the specific items. We have third quarter revenues down 5% at 13.49 billion euro. 11.8 was expected. So this is better than expected. Industrial operating profit up at 1.79 billion as well, a lot better than expected. Expected was 1.2 billion euros. Siemens is reporting a Q3 industrial orders, which are down 7% um, to 14.4, I should say. But that's also better than expected. Net income at 539 million euro um, versus 51 million euro, which was expected by uh, analysts like consensus. Um, Siemens is saying they're expecting the economic impact of the COVID-19 crisis to continue to strongly impact also its Q4, so it's not over. The big question is whether uh, Joe Kayser is going to say that Q3 was the bottom, because when we spoke to him in May, he was saying that he was expecting the trough to be in Q3. So that will be interesting. They are saying that um, Siemens says that they continue to expect a decline in comparable revenue for the full year 2020. That was the guidance back in May. So in a way, they're reiterating their guidance. Siemens says that this decline most strongly will be hitting the digital industry and smart infrastructure business, which they are having. Um, but they're also saying that they are still planning to spin off, completely spin off and list 
their Siemens energy by the end of September. So we might going to see a very big IPO in September in Germany. They are saying that they are continuing not to give guidance for basic earnings per share for the full year 2020. So bottom line is uh, Siemens is actually beating um, expectations, um, but they are still sort of only slightly optimistic also for Q3, Q4, uh, which is because their fiscal year is starting in October. And what we were also hearing from the um, from the company yesterday night that they're reshuffling their management uh, board and Joe Kaza will technically hand over operations to Michael Bush by October, but we stay on board until the AGM 2021 when he's going to leave his CEO position. But Michael Bush will be technically responsible for the full year 2021, which starts for them in October this year. With that, Jeff, back to you. All right. Excellent. Thanks so much. We're looking forward then to that conversation with Joe Kayser, the CEO, that interview coming up at five past eight Central European time. And obviously a lot of interest in the lack of guidance on the EPS number. And as Anetta was telling us, uh, more detail would be welcomed on that potential uh, IPO and a spin out of a, uh, a business. Um, let's have a look at uh, ADECO, second quarter revenue down 28%. The group, though, says it is seeing improvement in July. So current trading sounds more promising. This is, uh, of course, the Swiss staffing agency that is um, uh, critical for a lot of companies in providing um, uh, certain levels of uh, temporary and permanent help. The group says the rate of revenue decline was greatest in April and improved as the quarter progressed, with June declining 26% organically. Uh, uh, trading day adjusted year on year and July showing further gradual improvement, it said, while posting a first half net loss of 327 million euros. The group says while the economic environment remains uncertain linked to COVID-19, they feel the business is well positioned both financially and operationally. Management anticipates a recovery ratio of approximate uh, a recovery in the third quarter as utilization of government support schemes is reduced and headcount is increased to reflect higher activity levels uh, post the lockdown. So that is the line uh, coming out of the uh, Swiss uh, temporary recruitment agency. They do see uh, an uptick in activity for July, which uh, is quite encouraging, I think, at this point, given how much uncertainty there seems to be about the likelihood of a second wave at, at this point. Um, let's have a look at uh, Merck. Let's pull up some numbers and see how we're doing. The uh, company uh, is forecasting an earnings per share in the range of between €5.60 and uh, €6.25 at this point. The assumptions that they are making about the business uh, um, effectively dependent on the current progress of the pandemic being largely unchanged from here. Group sales are between 16.9 billion euros and 17.7 billion euros expected. The lower end of the range raised for the expected EBITDA pre-forecast is now 4.45 billion euros to 4.8 eight five 
billion euros. Sales rise by uh, 3.7% to 4.1 billion. Uh, EBITDA pre-declines uh, by negative 5.7% to uh, 1.1 billion euros. Uh, healthcare and performance materials more strongly affected by the COVID-19 pandemic than life science. The, uh, as I say, the EBITDA number, which we watch closely here for this business, fell by negative uh, 5.7%. For China, Merck assumes the COVID-19 pandemic has reached its peak at the end of the first quarter and that the economic recovery began in the second quarter. For Europe and the United States, the company is expecting an economic recovery in the second half of the year. The uh, forecasts, quite detailed from Merck, assuming there will be no widespread lockdowns owing to further disease waves in any of the named regions, leading to considerably negative consequences for the economic recovery. And there are some uh, issues in particular, I think, that we do need to hear about. The direction of travel for uh, Rebif, uh, when we talk to Marcus Kunert, uh, this multiple sclerosis uh, drug that they own, what, what's the progress been in the dispersion of that? And obviously they are also in uh, significant talks at the moment about ramping up manufacturing with a vaccine platform. We will talk to Marcus Kunert about that at 8.30 Central European time. Uh, let's have a look at uh, the numbers from the uh, uh, insurance group NN uh, Group. The uh, group, um, let's uh, find, find you some numbers here. Uh, the group telling us, uh, if I can pull up the numbers, uh, bear with me just a second. The group declaring an interim dividend of €2.26 per ordinary share. The solvency to ratio, a key ratio for these insurance businesses, which gives us a sense of their capital strength. After the interim dividend and the 183 million of share buybacks in the first half of 2020, 231%, which is a uh, robust number uh, for these businesses. Uh, The second quarter cash capital position uh, of the holding decreased to uh, 1.315 billion from 1.968 billion at the end of uh, 2019. But overall, the group says uh, Netherlands non-life performed well, the combined ratio in at 94.9% for the first half of 2020. And the operating results increased to 926 million euro uh, from uh, 940 million in the first half of 2019. It's a good point, I think, to bring into the conversation David Nib, the CEO of NN Group. David, good morning to you here. As I look at some of these comparators on the uh, same period uh, for 2019, actually, uh, the numbers look fine. Give us a sense of how you've come through the first half and what you're expecting for the rest of the year. Yes, good morning and very happy to uh, very happy to be here. Well, of course, it's been an extraordinary first uh, six months of the year. Uh, once the, the COVID-19 crisis hit, our, our first focus was on taking care of our employees, our company and, and taking care of our, uh, our customers. Uh, and the underlying belief, of course, is if you do that well, the financial results will also uh, will also follow. And I think you you already alluded to it. We had a very strong first uh, first six months of the, the year. 
Uh, we've seen the non-life company indeed being very resilient. We're not so exposed to, to event insurance, to travel and, and some of the, uh, the uh, uh, business interruption insurances that are very impacted by, uh, by COVID. Our solvency is very strong, so therefore we were able to, uh, to resume our dividend payments that we temporarily um, uh, suspended. Uh, so, yeah, all in all, a, uh, a very strong first six months. Now, on your question on, on looking forward, uh, we've guided that we expect an overall impact of, uh, of COVID-19 of around 100 million. So that's for us a, a very manageable number. So the real focus is actually on the strategy that we've launched at the Capital Markets Day in, in June, which is creating value for all of our stakeholders around us and growing our capital generation by a mid-single digit. And we're planning on doing that by, by growing again in the, uh, the European and in Japanese markets uh, uh, once they, they open up uh, more, integrating the VVAT business, for example, in, in non-life and also growing the bank and, and the asset manager. David, you, you said a few things back in the um, uh, statement to the market in uh, June that I, I just wanted to pick up on and see whether there's been any evolution of that. You talked about lower premium income as a result of uh, Europe and Japan opening up quite slowly at this stage. Given where we are now from when you made that statement, are you more optimistic, actually, that uh, we might see premium income rise and that you actually might also be able to put through a little bit of a premium price rise? Well, the, if you look at the, the, uh, the, the premium development in the European markets, we've seen that indeed the, the sales went down very much during the, uh, during the lockdown. But we've seen it in May and June and July, actually a good uh, pickup of sales. So as long as the economies keep, uh, keep opening up, I expect still the uh, sales to continue to, uh, continue to grow. We also see a difference between channels. Our proprietary channels and, and broker channels actually do very well already. We can do distant sales. There's a lot of online uh, availability. The bank channels are a bit... Uh, 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 lower still because they uh, well there's obviously a lot going on in the in the banking uh, uh, banking landscape. Uh, in terms of the non-life company, in terms of premium increases, yes, it's still a pretty hard market. I would uh, I would say the uh, we still see room for for premium increases. There's still books of businesses that are under pressure. See for example the disability book. Also on the back of COVID, where we see an increased uh, amount of claims, more disability, more stress-related, especially in the medical uh, sector. So those are probably areas where over time we would expect some, some premium increases as well. And what about on the, um, the asset management business? Uh, again, you talked about uh, lower fee income being a concern for the business. Um, is that improving given that we've actually seen quite positive market activity Yes, I was very pleased to see actually the result of our uh, of our asset manager and an investment partners. The overall asset base grew, but um, more importantly, we saw a net inflow of third-party business. And I was very pleased to see that. And as we previously talked about, uh, there's a real focus on, on growing sustainable uh, uh, our sustainable products. So European and global sustainable products are doing very well. We've also seen more inflow on the on the fixed income side. Uh, so with 3.5 billion of net inflow uh, uh, for the asset manager in the first six months, I do believe the asset manager is also on the right track. Um, obviously robust in terms of solvency too. You have made this decision to recommence the dividend payouts. I think the, the Dutch regulators have said that's okay at this stage. Are you comfortable that you can continue with that, um, even as I think in some parts of Europe we are concerned about the potential for a second wave running into the autumn? 
Yes, indeed. So we, we temporarily suspended our, our dividend following the guidance from IOPA and the, uh, the Dutch Central Bank uh, uh, in the spring. Um, now the, the regulator takes an institution-specific view, and, and you already mentioned some of our numbers, which are very strong. Our solvency after this uh, dividend is 221%. Our cash on the holding is 1.3 billion. And also we reduced our leverage uh, by not refinancing the 300 million senior debt. So if you look at all those metrics and also the operating capital generation that we project going forward, uh, we're in a very strong position and therefore we are convinced that we can continue to um, uh, to pay out uh, uh, dividends. Uh, and also we have announced that we are resuming our share buyback, which we temporarily also stopped. So we have uh, we announced a share buyback of 250 million. Uh, we already did 183. So the other 67 million, we will uh, uh, we will restart that. And do we have to assume at this point that... Um even as we see announcements like the resumption of the dividend payout, that all of this is now in coordination with Elliott Group that has taken this uh, big stake in you. What difference has their holding made to the way that you're managing the business? Well, when we were designing our strategy, which we launched at the Capital Markets Day, obviously, and this was also in my new role, I engaged with a lot of stakeholders, including many, many shareholders, and we incorporated the feedback that we got from all stakeholders, and then we launched our strategy, and that is what we came out with at the end of at the end of June. Of course, since then, we are now presenting our results, and yeah, so far, the feedback from shareholders has been positive. Uh, we went on the road after the Capital Markets Day, and we've seen a, a positive response from the uh, from the financial markets. Uh, of course, it's still early days. We still have a lot to prove. We set a target of 1.5 billion of capital generation uh, by uh, uh, 2023, and we're well on track to deliver that. All right, David. Good to see you this morning. Thanks for joining us, David Neb, the uh, CEO of NN Group. Uh, coming up, the death toll rises and anger mounts in Lebanon as officials look to find the culprits in the storage of chemicals at Beirut's port, leading to an explosion that left parts of the capital in ruin. We'll be right back. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. The Lebanese government has ordered several port officials to be put under house arrest pending an investigation into the cause of a deadly blast that killed over 135 people and left over 5,000 injured. NBC's Richard Engel has the latest. New videos tonight show how the powerful blast changed this city in an instant. A church service was underway when... The roof begins caving in. A bride posed for a wedding video. You can hear the first blast. And then... A reporter in the upper corner doing a live television interview in Arabic. She survived. Tonight we learned at least one American is among the more than 100 people who died. 
At least 5,000 were injured, and hundreds are missing. Hospitals already struggling with COVID are beyond capacity. We have a small hospital, it's a 60-bed hospital, and it's not equipped to receive this number of casualties. I've never seen something like this. Lebanese officials say the blast was caused by a fire. You can see it popping and sparking. What started it remains unclear. But it grew, setting off the big explosion at a storage facility. Lebanese officials say packed with 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate, commonly used in fertilizers. It can also be used for bombs. Timothy McVeigh used it to destroy the federal building in Oklahoma City. The Beirut blast was 1,300 times more powerful. Tonight, Lebanese officials are investigating why so much of this explosive chemical was left at Beirut's port. Lebanese officials say it was seized from a cargo ship six years ago. Customs officials claim they asked to get rid of it, but it never happened. Instead, this was the port area before and after like it was never there. The Lebanese government says it's placing an unspecified number of port officials under house arrest while the investigation continues. Apparently out of concern, they try to leave the country. Richard Engel, NBC News, London. Let's refocus on some of the data. Employment in the U.S. private sector slowed sharply in July with just 167,000 people hired, according to ADP. That figure is well below the Dow Jones forecast of one million jobs and marks a sharp decline from June's total of 4.3 million jobs. A rise in cases across the U.S. and the expiration of the government's payment protection program were cited as reasons for the fall. The data comes a day ahead of the July non-farm payroll figures with forecasts suggesting growth of 1.48 million jobs. So the key takeaway there, the private sector number significantly different from what the analysts had been forecasting. And so you ask yourself the question, have we come to one of those uh-oh moments where the market has to take a look at the economic data and reassess the reasons for why it's going up? You probably will have seen our friend uh, Mr. Kramer over in the United States, and I quote, stupid investors are driving this clueless bullish market higher. Jim Cramer saying enthusiastic buyers who don't know what they're doing are pushing the markets up. Well, whether they are knowledgeable or not, it is clear when you look at the data points with the NASDAQ and the NDX moving on to fresh record highs that there is momentum to the upside for the market here. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P getting some support from the Disney story up 1.39%, up 0.64%. But Fed Vice Chair Richard Clarida is sticking with his view that the U.S. economy will rebound in the second half of this year. Speaking to CNBC, Clarida said the rise in virus cases hasn't changed his outlook. Personal forecast is that we'll see a rebound in economic activity in the third quarter uh, data. Um, uh, as we've said, including in our statement, the course of the economy is going to depend on the course of the virus and mitigation efforts. So it's a complex picture, but my baseline view is that we'll get a bounce back in the Q3 uh, data. Uh, but it will take some time, I believe, before we get back 
to the level of activity that we were in, in February before the pandemic hit. Uh, let's talk about some of the other sec- sectors that did okay out of this. Obviously, uh, tech was one of the drivers to the upside for the stronger market performance. Uh, so we got a, a fresh record close for that sector. Consumer discretionary also doing well in sector terms. So let's just show you uh, the performance there. The dollar was a, a little bit on its back, to be honest with you. We didn't see uh, a huge amount of activity around the greenback. But as we know, the dollar's moves uh, to the downside in uh, recent weeks has been one of those catalysts for people being comfortable to go in and buy gold. Uh, Let's switch away from the market sequence and just update you on some figures from Unicredit this morning, the Italian bank. Second quarter underlying net profit in at 0.5 billion. They are um, uh, confirming uh, a net interest income of 2.39 billion here as uh, against the 2.37 billion Uh, from the company provided consensus. CT1 ratio, 13.85% robust. The group uh, writing down the value of loans, second quarter net loan write-downs, 937 million. So just off the pace of a billion, which was uh, the expectation provided again in the uh, company forecast. Um, The uh, group says it'll uh, reinstate Team 23 capital distribution policy from 2021 uh, going forward. There's a lot in here about 2021 targets. The CEO confirming the target of three to three and a half billion euros underlying net profit for full year 21. But I would vouch safe. It's a little early in the day to be putting out solid forecasts on your expectations around 2021 at this point. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.